Hey everybody, check one two. Check check one this two. This is Jonathan. And this is Jeremy. Can we talk a little bit back and forth? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, what did you think about uh, the Super Bowl teams that are going to be in the Super Bowl? I'm very excited. I'm cheering for uh, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. Are you kidding and- me? The intro you just heard was uh, Jeremy's assistance. He thought it was. He thought it was cute. It's, so you it just, was straight up honest. It was straight up real. There was no. Uh, that was our no, audio yeah. check before before <laughs> choosing to press the actual record this button. This is the evangelicals, everyone. I don't think we said that. Uh, yeah, 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 welcome. Yeah. It's been a while, but uh, we're here. It has probably been too long. All right, let's keep the conversation. Why the going. Chiefs? Uh, no, I I just am so. In- the thing that the thing that frustrates me probably the most about our relationship because I do like you. I mean, you know, we're friends. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that annoys me probably most about our relationship is kind of the perennial Alabama dominance in the college football world and just how it, it kind of always comes back to that. Like I it's the middle of winter, so I don't like to think about Alabama football. And you just kind of found a way to, hey, by the way, all your favorite superstars from Alabama, they're going to yeah. be on, highlighted I mean, at the Super Bowl. Just to you know, point out a few things, I think Alabama has the most players like to the Pro Bowl this year ever in the history of uh, the NFL. And uh, yeah, I have no dog in this fight. And uh, I've always, you know, been a huge Jalen Hurts fan and uh, Devontae Smith, obviously. And then uh, there's a cornerback from Alabama and then an offensive lineman, uh, Landon Dickerson. So Eagles got the most, so I might as well want to see those guys win. A, I mean, it'd be awesome for them to win a national championship and a Super Bowl. That'd be that'd be sweet for uh, for Nick Saban and the, the mighty Crimson Tide. You know, good recruiting and uh, no, I just Jalen Hurts is awesome, and I'm just a big fan. Have been, and I I want him to do well. So, okay, so there are so, so I'm not many, cheering for the Eagles. I'm cheering for there are so many different those there players. Are, there are so many different stories that. You know, are are uh, you know a part of the Super Bowl kind of like sub stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like Andy Reid for whatever reason. I like this guy, Jeremy. I don't dislike him. I'm just telling you, I'm cheering for. I hear you. I'm, I'm just, cheering for those guys. I'm yep. excited to see what Rihanna does. I think that should be kind of fun. Are you joking me? You know, you're not. I don't know that I'm going to watch it. I'm not a huge Rihanna fan. I I just, I'm always excited to see the production and just to see what they do with it. And um, I'd love for, you know, Eminem to come back. That'd be kind of cool. Two Super Bowls in a row. And, you know, they did a song together. And people are going to start wondering, people are going to start wondering, wait a second. This is like the evangelical is like conservative (laughs) Christianity, right? That's what I like a good show. Are. I like a good, I just want to be entertained, you know, Russell Crowe, Gladiator. She, just she want makes, to be entertained. She makes me nervous. I will say that the thing that makes me most nervous about the Super Bowl is that it's it's unedited, right? So I'm definitely not going to be letting my young girls oh, sure. watch the watch the halftime show. Sure. I nor I have no idea what it's going no, to sure, be. Sure, sure. I love the commercial. She looks like uh, uh she lives in Whoville, like uh, yes! Lucy Liu yeah, 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 with her, yeah. her hair. I'm like this is going to be great, yeah, man. This is going to be something. A spectacle. Oh, it, well, it's always for sure. This Speaking of spectacle. spectacles, last night was the State of the Union address. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good word, and that was a good segue, Jeremy. <laughs> Usually, we talk about our segues. Jeremy just pulled that one on me, and I, I like that. Yeah, it was quite a spectacle. Yeah, you, you, we've talked to before. We both watched. Um, 
I watch every year. I don't care who the president oh, is. Yeah. I watch every year. Um, and yeah, I, I, we just talked about before. Maybe we just we have. It's been a while since we've jumped into a, a political discourse. Um, you know, ne- which neither one of us are uh, you know experts in. But I think that that as followers of Jesus, as evangelicals, there's definitely definitely some political understanding about who we are and what we should value and what. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I think the biggest value is just decency. <laughs> for for people and it was uh, not always displayed uh, not always a, a strong show of decency um, was one of the one things that we talked about last night I think the 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 thing that I as I get older that I want more and more out of politics and out of politicians is some sort of model life I think that that as as I'm as I'm raising children and I think about who is influencing them. The The thing that I desire most is not that those people who are influencing them be talented or even that they necessarily be right, but that they be decent, that they be moral, that they be holy, you know? And as I was watching the State of the Union last night, I actually had compassion for Joe Biden. And this may be an, this may be an unpopular opinion, but... I sometimes think to myself, like, why are we, why are we doing this? Like, we have this very elderly man who, you know, to his own confession, you know, has a difficult time talking sometimes, you know, and I, I feel like there are other people that could have represented the Democratic Party uh, well, you know, as the president, if they were, if, you know, but if they would have won with another candidate, uh, but, you know, Joe Biden is an 80-year-old man who, whenever an 80-year-old man talks, I listen. Hmm. Has nothing to do with politics. And I listen because they're 80. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that I was raised. You know, you, you respect your elders. And um, there are some that would listen to this podcast and say, well, he's not respectable because he's a Democrat. Hmm. And I'd say, no, he is actually... He, he has my respect because he's the president of the United States. I've always been taught to respect the president of the United States, and I've always been taught to respect my elders. Mm. And the thing that I saw last night, particularly from Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I, I do understand, I heard one talking head say that part of her doing that was a part of her brand, you know, that it's good for her publicity and her revenue sources for her to do that kind of thing. But... Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think, is probably the only one who benefits in our country from her sitting in the back of the of the room and yelling. Because I, I don't want to live in a country where it's okay for an elderly man who has a difficult time speaking publicly to stand up and share something that he's prepared and then have another person screaming at them. Like I don't I don't want to be a part of that kind of country. Like this is I'm not I'm not like threatening to leave the leave the United States or something. I, Maybe I should have chosen my words more carefully there. I'm I'm ashamed that we have come to that. Um, I I think that you know if you want to protest the vision of of America that was proposed last night, and um, I do have political opinions, and I'm not a Democrat. Um, but but if you want to, if there are things that I maybe, maybe I would feel so strongly, you know, as a politician, uh, that I would choose not to come to a state of the union. And maybe allow that to be 
my statement, you know, if I was a politician, but I just can't imagine a world in which as a Christian, I ever would find it appropriate to, uh, to approach the situation, you know, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a very loudly self-proclaimed evangelical Christian. And as an evangelical Christian watching the state of the union last night, I was honestly worried about the witness of the church mm. and I was sad about it. I'm like, how are we cool with this? And the thing is, I have friends who are crazy about her, you know, think that she's making some sort of significant contribution. She's, uh, you know, from my district that I grew up in in Georgia. So have uh, we talked about that? No. <laughs> is she really? That's North, interesting. Northwest Georgia. I think, oh, wow. I'm sure. Um, uh, yeah. So you know a lot of people that voted for Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene. <laughs> and they probably voted against her, right? Got a lot of family. Yep. And um, I think... So I think that there's there's ways that, like you said, if you disagree, um, we talked a little bit before that I'm reading a biography about Abraham Lincoln right now. And it's interesting because um, in the biography, it's getting to the point in his life where he's just been elected president and the South is talking about seceding from the Union. And, and, and Lincoln just keeps trying to tell people, like, don't do this the way that you get your voice heard is you vote is you um have your voice heard by participating in um what it is that that we are trying to do as as this country of ours yeah and and i'm not sure that last night that the 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 what was what happened I, like you said i think it benefits her but the way she really makes a difference is she shows up on the floor where she's been elected to and she gives speeches when she has the microphone, you know, and when it's her turn to speak, I think. And I'm not saying like her turn like in a, in a negative way, like when it's your turn, you can talk. But there's ways that and there's rules and, and, and procedures in our country that if you disagree, you have moments, whether you're taking a vote on a, a bill or a piece of legislation, um, you have the microphone, you can and get up and, and dispute or speak against said bill or said thing. Um, she has so many avenues where she, if she disagrees with what is being said, um, that she gets to voice that. And it's just interesting because once again, to do it in the middle of a, a speech that somebody else is making benefits her and her brand and what it is she's trying to um, promote. Um, because there was a whole host of other ways for her to disagree and to show that she disagrees than in that moment um, standing up. And, of course, the cameras panned to her. I wish they would have not given her that that moment. But, um, yeah, that's right. And and so, you know, blame the media, whatever. That's that's fine. But I think that that in the our society, if you disagree, I would say even down to, to you and I, the way that we show that and best live into that is by voting and participating and and taking on things in our own community that we want to see happen um, and maybe standing up in the middle of a speech and yelling um, isn't probably not much going to happen from that um, other than the people that follow her may be a little excited that she did that if that's yeah no I completely agree another thing that we talked about just in the spirit of the State of the Union, we talked about issues that people stood and stood and sat for. So I want to talk about I want to talk about four issues particularly. Can I say something before we get into yeah, this? Yes, it's, 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 it's um, 
So whatever you think about Joe Biden, whatever you think, uh, whatever letter you have after your name as far as what you're registered to vote for, I think it's really important and why I think this conversation is important because there's just some things fundamentally as people who say we're about the good news and, and, and are for people um, that we should get excited about whether a Democrat or a Republican says it. And I think that that's what we're, we're trying to get at, that there was moments last night that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, when I saw one side like totally reject and there were things the other side said too. And, but there's, there's issues for us that transcend where we find ourselves in our political divide. And I think that, that we should get excited about those things and support those things, no matter who's talking about them. So, yeah. So I just want to also remind listeners, uh, as our podcast, uh, it has grown in popularity, Jeremy, actually. There are um, more folks that continue to listen to the podcast, and maybe not everybody knows where we're from. Jeremy and I both are doing ministry in Northwest Ohio in relatively small towns of Lima, Ohio, and Paulding, Ohio. Not relatively. It, mine is small. <laughs> J- Jeremy's small. Mine is – our county is 100,000 people, so it's not super small. We right. do have a, we do have, we have a Starbucks but not a Target, so that you can kind of peg oh, us. Oh, whoa. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. we're not – We we're, just got our second Dollar General, so we are uh, – <laughs> that was – but there's talk we're getting at a Taco Bell, so we'll just. Whoa, Jeremy! I'll see it when I when I, you I know when I was, when you see yeah, it. I believe it when I see it. Um, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about one one of the interesting things about the development of American politics that Jeremy and I are going to talk about a little bit more later after we get done talking about the State of the Union is the way that issues have changed hands as far as things that Democrats care about and things that Republicans care about. And I think that different parties would like to promote the idea that they're static, that they're unchanging, and that they're always you know, um, upholding the same values. But that's just not the case. Right. Historically in America, different issues have garnered support from different individuals. So the, the first thing that I... Um, that I want to that I want to bring up is the statement um, when Biden um, when pres I shouldn't call him Biden I should say when when the when Mr. President or <laughs> President Biden uh, talked about if we unions, say Biden we're not being disrespectful right talked about unions uh, he said workers should have the right to unionize mm-hmm. and everyone on the left stood up and everyone on the right stayed seated yeah what's interesting about that though is that I am from a manufacturing community where a majority of the manufacturing plants in Lima, Ohio, have workers' unions. And a majority of the workers that work in those plants are Republican. Mm. But what's interesting is that from a macro level, you're, as as a Republican national senator or House of Representatives individual, uh, representative, you're... uh, you're told that this is not our party stance. Right. And so union members who vote Republican see you seated when the president lifts up an institution that they're a part of. This happened multiple times, Jeremy. It happened, I noticed it with the unions and I noticed it with teachers. So again, I'm in Lima, Ohio, a majority of the teachers in um, my school district particularly are a part of the teachers union and they're Republican, okay? A majority of the of the of the teachers in my district are Republican, and they're a part of the teachers union. Right. When President Biden said we need to pay our teachers more, again, Republicans completely stayed seated. Right. Because p- 
politics are not about people. <laughs> They're just not. They're about we we've turned we've turned politics into this really strange set of like almost moral decisions, I guess, that should not be decided by the federal government. I mean, my what happens in my local school community really should be determined by by the by the taxpayers you know in my district and i'm probably showing my hand a little bit in some of my that would be kind of the maybe the conservatism is in me it leans in that direction you know what i'm saying like i do believe in you know the the freedom of people to 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 choose and come to board and come to school board meetings and care you know um and so it just um i don't know if you want to say anything about those two things it just struck me because i'm i'm just in my context right Right. Both teachers and union members are flaming Republicans, and the Republicans did not stand up when those, when those, them. yeah, when those um, topics, when those platforms were lifted up. I think that um, as I was watching, or before, um, like I had a meeting last night, and I came into the house and I said, "Hey, is uh, the State of the Union on yet?" And Terry didn't even have the TV on, and <laughs> all right. And my youngest son was uh, sitting on the couch. He's like, what's that? And I just looked at him and said, I failed you as a parent. And uh, <laughs> he has so much work to do and so oh, little man. time. But um, It's also on after bedtime in your defense for those of us <laughs> in Eastern time, okay? But um, so then my wife snarkily says, but correctly, oh, it's when half the room stands up and gives standing ovations and the other half just sits there the whole time. And, I mean, um, that's an acceptable <laughs> narrative, Jeremy. I said she was right. Um, and, and, um, I was like, well, it's a little more than that, but, um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's probably what it is. And so I just think that, that as, um, as I was watching, uh, you know, the union thing, that's always been an interesting thing. Cause I feel like people who aren't about big government, wouldn't you want in your job, isn't that the smallest form of control? Like, wouldn't that be like, I'm not telling the federal government to decide. I'm going to decide what happens at my business and my like. I, it just seems to be what traditionally conservative Republicans have have supported. Um, that it's it's literally not even the states telling you. You're you're deciding within your business what is right, what's wrong, what you're going to. Uh, you're fighting for raises. You're fighting for benefits. You're fighting for all of those things. Um, and yet somehow it's gotten um, a negative negative connotation um i i i don't know i i i like i you know and like i said we 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 want to be very careful like i said it seems like we're bashing the republicans because there were also times i think when democrats stood up and i was like Ugh. um and i think biden got into the weeds talking about airplane seats and i was like what why are we talking about this um and so i just think that that um as we are, as I was watching that, that hurt because I, I'm like you. I know teachers. We have several in our church. Um, I know people who work in factories, but the teacher thing really was hurtful. Um, I hurt for my friends because I do feel like teachers are so underpaid. Um, and the fact that you would look at that and be like, no, that's not a good idea. Um, in fact, we're not even going to clap. Um, we're just going to just sit here. What does that say about our country if we're not willing to look at the people who are investing and with our children all the time and loving on our kids and trying to teach them 
um, you know, they teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, but I think they're also teaching them how to be with other people and how to have um, civil conversation, hopefully, and how to be in a group and how to, uh, you like, you have to wait your turn and we got to walk in line. And they're, and yeah, they're teaching them more. A majority of education that happens in the schools is life education. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm with you. Like I try to support them. I try to do whatever I can for our teachers locally. Um, but the fact that, that somebody would say we need, cause I think all he says, we need to pay them more. Yeah. They need a raise yep. and, and nothing. Um, I don't know. As, well, as a believer, wouldn't, wouldn't we want, you said, no, you said the thing about, we need to be careful. Um, it seems like we're bashing the Republicans, it just every time whoever um, whoever's president is in office, the opposing party, you're able to measure their character by how they um, re- respond. So when Trump when Trump was in, in office, I was I was very disappointed at um, was it Nancy Pelosi who would sit behind him? Rip the, uh, she, the, yeah, yeah, she ripped up. Her, she yeah, ripped up his speech. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm. um don't don't hear what I'm not saying. If you didn't hear the Evangelicals podcast from there, go back and yeah, listen. Absolutely. Go back and listen yeah. to it. Yeah, no, it really it really is the the point of this podcast though might be today in some ways to point out the flaws in in you know right. Republicans right, 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 right. because I mean this is the this is part of the problem is we can't why can't we look at ourselves in the mirror absolutely and you know pull the speck out of our yeah. out of our and this is a this is a, there are massive specks. In the eyes of our politicians. I mean, this is just kind of... I've talked um, about teachers, maybe I shouldn't have, but in our church and just said, they're the most underpaid, underappreciated workforce. Kind of public servants, maybe. Public servants. And, and to be a teacher, I think, is is a calling of, like, you, you, you're not just doing it. They're not doing it for the money, but at the same time, it'd be nice to um, show them that we appreciate, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And though I think the way you do that is through finances and say we value what you're doing. So two other two other instances that were very interesting to me right, as far I'm as ready. people standing up or not standing up. Okay, let's do it. Um, President Biden talked about big pharma at one point and talked about how pharmaceutical companies shouldn't be. It, it was either pharmaceutical companies or insurance. No, I think it was pharmaceutical companies. How they should not be the ones determining the prices, yeah, uh, for you know care, you know whatever it may be. And the, and the fact of the matter is, if you know anything about pharmacy, that both the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies are making massive life and death decisions every day for individuals. So I have a, a woman um, who's in my choir. We were talking at Christmas time, and there's a particular drug that she needs um, to help her with a condition that she has that. Um, her insurance company um, dropped her because she needs that particular drug, and so they, you know, have made the de- they the insurance company has made the decision on whether or not she will have the drug that was prescribed by her doctor. Yeah, you know, which is just so bizarre. I mean, but so anyway, um, President Biden he makes this statement about pharmaceutical companies. Uh, what was it? The cost of insulin. Insulin. And and people Republicans did not stand up. Yeah. And um, I understand that the, uh, the highest value right now it seems to be in in um, the Republican politics is unrestricted free market capitalism seems to be the highest. So if you say anything that might seem like it's inhibiting unrestricted free market capitalism, you know we have a 
we have a, a prob- problem, but there are literally thousands, thousands, actually thousands of people in America who vote hardline Republican every year who are sitting at home saying, I completely agree with President Biden about this issue. This is difficult for me to live, you know? And it's like, I don't, I just don't understand. I can't in my, my little pea brain, I can't understand how that's not something that we can all say, yeah, the cost of pharmaceuticals is out of control. Especially insulin. And how as a, a follower of Jesus, people that need this medicine, why would we be like, no, they should pay $300 a month for insulin? Or I don't even know how long, like I'm so ignorant about insulin and, and that how that whole thing works how often they have to buy it or what it looks like. What what I thought was so interesting and maybe compelling is he's, he stated the guy who invented insulin didn't even patent it because he didn't want to, to get rich. He wanted everybody to be able to have it. So the guy who even created it didn't get a patent on it so that it wouldn't have to go through the – like he wanted everybody who needed it to be wow. able to have it. And I was like, huh. Um yeah, it's just so fascinating. I think he he said something. It costs twelve dollars or thirteen dollars to to produce, and we're selling it for two, three hundred, four hundred dollars. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I'm just so ignorant about what it is. Um, but I think that as a follower, wouldn't we want everybody to have access to the meds they need to 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 be healthy, to to do life in a normal way um, as possible? Um, and the fact that you wouldn't, that, that wouldn't be where you stand. I don't know. It just seems a hard sell for me as somebody who's following after Jesus that we wouldn't be like, yeah, that's something we've got to, to get under control. Yeah. That, so just again, puzzle, kind of just some moments from the night that were puzzling. The other one was there was a moment where a couple whose son had been, um, this is different because everybody stood up on this. Yes. One. Yeah. Yeah. was a victim of police brutality. I had was sitting there just waiting for half of the room to stay seated while this crying mother and father are sitting in the room whose son had been killed very seemingly unmercifully, right? But Republicans and Democrats both stood. And what was interesting to me is that a couple of years ago, you couldn't get a you couldn't get a Republican to stand if we were talking about police brutality. Mm. But whatever I just it was it was a moment where I was dumbfounded because I thought I have figured out the system. You know what I'm saying? That this is something that this is a, just a democratic talking point. Like Republicans, we we support the police, you know, so we can't stand, you know, when people talk about police being brutal. Well, then everybody stands and I'm like just completely blown away. I don't I don't understand, you know, uh this has been such a politicized issue, but apparently now everybody's on the side of you know caring about police brutality, um, which is I think is a great thing. Right. I think accountability is wonderful. I'm right. not saying it was a bad moment. It was just a confusing moment to me because over the last five years, particularly since George the George Floyd incident, mm-hmm. I have been programmed that this is a po- politicized issue. People on the left and right have vastly different. This is how we've been kind of programmed, right? And so I was ready for it, and all of a sudden I was just completely surprised. <laughs> well, I th- yeah, and I think what I what I take from it is I think the, when it got politicized, part of the political, politicization, politicization, yeah. Yeah. Was it was painted that Democrats or progressive liberals 
wanted to defund the police and wanted to get rid of the police and wanted to to give them less. And Joe was like, no, we need to give them what they want. We need and in and, and this when he was talking about this, both sides of the house didn't stand up just once. They stood up twice. He got two standing ovations when he was talking about this issue. Yep. Because I think when we when we jump to politics, and maybe this will get us into kind of what we were going to talk about uh, to wrap up, when, when, we, when we start to really over-politicize things, we start to put people in boxes that at the end of the day, those people really aren't in those boxes. But it, it bodes well for me politically to paint these people in this stripe, to paint these people um, having this stance against this issue um, than it is to really listen to what they really believe about yeah. the police and hear what they really want to do and how do we help them. And so I think when when um, when Biden was like, we need to give the police what they need, we need to support them, we need to resource them, well, everybody believes that. And it became this moment that, like you said, there was this issue that that traditionally had been so politicized that we put people in corners and pigeonholed people in boxes. And when somebody said, no, 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 that's not where we are. This is what we actually want to do. It was like, well, yeah, let's agree. We agree. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was an odd, interesting moment that I wish would have happened with these other issues that was like, we shouldn't be able to find common ground on teachers and insulin and, you know, unions. I, I could take care of there. Like whatever your beef is, but the insulin, the teachers, and then what we saw with the police, I was hoping when those things were said, that unity would be there to say, as Americans, we think these are things that should happen. Yeah. And I would say as Christians, we these are things that 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 definitely we should be fighting for or um, um, investing in and, uh, and, and truly trying to make a difference in these areas. Yeah. Well, so before the podcast, it, J- Jeremy mentioned, he alluded to the fact that he's reading this Abraham Lincoln biography. By John Meacham. By John Meacham. And we are we are the Evangelicals podcast, and one of the things that we are concerned with is the identity of evangelicalism in America. It's a, it's a theme that we continually come back to on the podcast. And he's he happens to be reading this biography, and I actually am starting to work toward my PhD dissertation, which is going to be on evangelicalism in the 1920s and 30s in America. And what a lot of people don't know or recognize is that prior to World War One, evangelicalism was under was recognized in America by two things. Evangelicals were individuals who were passionate about a transformative relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the power of the Spirit was moving. There were revivals going on, and an evangelical Christian was somebody who was passionate about a relationship with Jesus and with the Spirit that was life changing, and they were passionate about transforming the world. This is how our denomination began. It's how so many denominations at the turn of the century began. It's how the um, uh, Salvation Army began. Um, and it shouldn't be surprising God. when God said, love God, love others, like, you know. Yeah. It yeah, shouldn't yeah. be surprising well, so whatsoever. The, right. And so the idea in America was we're transforming the world into the – we're seeing the kingdom come. They really believed this. And so this was – now Now at the time, those individuals who were evangelicals were li- were understood to be progressive Republicans. So like Walter Rauschenbusch and Washington Gladden, they were progressives – who conservatives were very uneasy about, and they they promoted ideas like the abolition of slavery. They promoted ideas like a women's suffrage, giving women the right to vote, okay? But they also had a very strong sense of morality, and they pushed for the prohibition of alcohol, 
which is just very interesting. Mm -hmm. So you're being, you're progressive in a social sense, but you're conservative in a moral sense. Mm -hmm. That was evangelicalism. Progressive socially, conservative morally, right? We're not going to let our kids go to the movies. We're not going to let them go to dances. We're not going to let them go to nightclubs. And we're certainly not going to let them drink alcohol, okay? Conservative morally, but progressive socially. Mm -hmm. We're getting rid of slavery. We're, we're allowing people, we're, we're equalizing the vote. When God pours the spirit on all people, all people are going to prophesy. I mean, we're seeing these things fulfilled, right? Well, what happens, what happens in the inner war years between World War I and World War II is that there's a massive political shift in America in which um, the, the progressive agenda of evangelicalism was hijacked by the New Deal and evangelicalism, uh, the spirituality of evangelicalism was hijacked by fundamentalism. And so what happens is once we get into the 1930s, you have evangelicalism doesn't exist the way that it does in the 1920s. What you have is you have a pro you have a progressive a political platform in the liberals with the Democrats, and you have a conservative fundamentalist version of Christianity that has to do with a relationship with the Bible and its infallibility. And so all of a sudden, and you can you can look this up in your history books, um, flaming blue states in the South who were Democrat by the 1940s and 50s, they're now supporting the Republican Party. They're red, and Republicanism becomes the party of fiscal conservatism, a particular version of fiscal conservatism, and the Democratic Party becomes the party of the impoverished and the disenfranchised, which is so interesting because in the 1910s and 1920s, um, I, I don't know if people are aware that uh, Abraham Lincoln yeah. was a Republican. Right. He fought for the abolition of slavery. Right. He was the party of the blacks in the 1860s was Republic was the Republican Party. He didn't believe that we should live into the Constitution the way it was originally written, but had to translate it into our the times that we were living in. Right. Because then the Constitution, the African-American was three fifths of a person or whatever. And yes. he said, that's not. That can't we have to be. Yeah, we have to retranslate. And Democrat and Democrats in the 1860s would have been understood to be the more uh, conservative ones in the sense: no, we cannot change the status quo. The cultural status quo is the way that it is, right? That's the way it was written, and that's the way we got to do it. And that's what the South was saying: we have to to live into the Constitution the way it was originally intended, right? And so the the thing uh, I think the the reason I just want to bring up this kind of historical point and it's just as fascinating you know we watch jeremy and i are in conversation with each other we're watching the state of the union and we're thinking about evangelicalism well what's just so sad is that these issues that are human issues we just keep tossing them back and forth from one side of the aisle to the other side of the aisle uh really in the name of kind of expedience or whatever agenda we think is going to be most beneficial to the party at the, you know, the particular time. I, I tell my college students always when they try to peg me as Democrat or a Republican, I say I'm a flaming moderate. I want to, I want to, in my lifetime, I want to see a third party so we can stop passing the, so we at least have one more, one more hand that can take a punch at the, uh, the beach volleyball as it goes back and forth, back and forth. You know, I really, I, I do. I, I just think it's so hilarious right. that in our two party system, we don't even have, in, we don't even have integrity. I mean, it's just, it's just these issues. They just become, Again, the 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 um, they become 
the emphasis on issues becomes the, that thing which is most beneficial for the, you know, the party at the particular time. And I think that as we see, so we just started going through acts at our church on Sunday mornings, and it's just fascinating on so many levels. But um, I think what comes up again and again and again through this group of people who, after Jesus has ascended, they're trying to figure out, so now what? How do we do this? Yeah. Um, it seems like they come back to again and again and again that we are to be about people <laughs> like whatever the need is we got to figure out how to meet it whatever the the want and it doesn't matter um if you're from a, a greek jew um if you're from wherever if there's a need or something that needs to happen we are going to do our best to figure out how to meet that need and uh, so this sunday we're uh going to be where Peter and John come into the temple and there's the guy sitting at the gate who's lame and and something interesting happens that I think um that I think kind of explains our political situation is this gate is a big symbol for Luke um and and even though the the actual space between where the guy was sitting and where he couldn't go was small there's this huge thing and Luke loves to use a gate like he does it in uh, Luke 16 with the rich guy and Lazarus the poor guy how in our world the gap seems small, but in the eternal eternity, the divide was quite big. And, um, and so we like to look at the gate. What are the things that are separating the people? And when Peter walks up to the guy, um, there's this one line where Peter says, look at me and uh, look in my eyes almost. And yep. that's yep. what he's yep. saying. And I think in that moment, what is happening is Peter isn't seeing the gate, the thing that separates him and doesn't allow him to go into the temple. He's seeing the person. He's seeing the actual person. Yes. And he wants to, that person to know that he's been seen. So he says, look in my eyes. Because there's probably, he's begging, so he probably doesn't look up a whole lot. Um, but Peter stops and says, look at me. And I think that if we're going to ever get to a place in our country, um, and we should be the people leading this charge is that we don't look at the gates anymore, the things that separate us. We've got to see the people. And how do we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, see people for where they are, but not, but understanding that God doesn't want to leave them there. God wants them to grow in his grace and truth. And But it has to start with seeing people. And, um, and too long are political. And that's why, once again, we were just baffled when people were standing, not standing, because it seemed like they were standing when they weren't supposed to and when they should have, when we felt like they should have, they weren't. Um, it's because I feel like it was about an issue. But if you were to really sit across the table from somebody that needs insulin, are you telling me you would look at them and be like, I think you should pay $500 a month? And, and that person's like, I can't. And that the person would be like, well, then I'm sorry, you don't get your insulin this yeah. month. I, yeah. There's no way I feel like, but but we have to take the time to actually have conversations with people and see people. Yeah. And and I think that the ups and downs and the ins and the outs and, and why I think it's important to understand where evangelicalism has been through our country and how it's played politically, why it's important is because I think we start to see it's been all over the place. Yeah. But I think what you will hopefully start to see as well is that we were at our best when we were seeing people as people, as image bearers of God, and not as an issue to be exploited so that I could get a vote, an issue to be exploited. That's why Abraham Lincoln was like, these people, they, they're not free labor. 
and he saw them as people, not as three-fifths of a person or whatever. And so he was doggedly um, passionate about making sure that at the end of the day, they could be a person. And, um, And I think it starts, and I think that what Peter does, he's like, look at me. And I think that was for the guy sitting there, but I think it was for Peter too, to see the guy, to see him, to, 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 to look into his soul and to understand that he is also somebody that was created in the image of God. And we lack that ability for yeah. whatever reason yeah. in our political system right now to see people. I don't know. That was a rant. I'm sorry. That was, um, well, and the, the hope would be Jeremy. I mean, the reason that we're still calling ourselves evangelicals is that we, we do still have a radical hope that it's possible to be a part of a movement of, of people of God in America in the 21st century that does see people as Jesus would see them, mm-hmm. right? And that's our that's our hope for our, ourselves, you know, our hope for our churches, for our families, and it's our hope for you as well. Hope that, uh, hope that you're able to receive something good today from the podcast. The Evangelicals Podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.